Hi, good day and welcome to About Patterson, a podcast about the past, present, and future of our hometown, Patterson, New Jersey. As all Pattersonians know, Patterson was founded by our first Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, in 1791. Hamilton's vision for Patterson was as America's first planned industrial city, but even Hamilton couldn't have seen what Patterson would become. Patterson led the Industrial Revolution where Sam Colt manufactured his first revolvers, John Ryle manufactured America's first silk, Thomas Rogers built the first American locomotives, and John Holland tested the world's first modern submarine. But Patterson isn't just about the Industrial Revolution, it's about us, the people of Patterson. It's about our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents who came to America and settled in Patterson for a better life. We all know Patterson today isn't the Patterson we grew up in, but something is happening that no one saw coming. After decades of decline, a miracle happened. Two Pattersonians, former Mayor Bill Pascrell in the House of Representatives and Frank Lautenberg in the United States Senate, passed a bill that was signed by President Barack Obama, making our Great Falls District a national park, and in my view, changed Patterson's future for the better. This is a podcast about Patterson, the historic Patterson we learned about, the Patterson we grew up in, and the Patterson that, in my opinion, is emerging from the ashes. So thanks so much for joining me today. Welcome to Episode 9 in my About Patterson podcast. This episode is about a man many of us are familiar with, Reuben Hurricane Carter, and the murders committed at the Lafayette Grill in the summer of 1966. There have been books written, songs sung, and even a movie made about these events. Every Pattersonian who was around in 1966 knows about this. My hope is to present an unbiased examination of the case against Reuben Carter and John Artis in the Lafayette Grill murders. My sources for this are Reuben Carter's book, The Sixteenth Round, Vincent D. Simone's Media Meddlers, David Axelson's Murder, Myth, and Marketing, as well as the newspapers and periodicals of the day. Please note the terms colored and negro were used as racial descriptions during the Jim Crow era. Since then, they have been replaced. However, in 1966, these terms were used often in police reports and newspaper articles. I will quote the terms used for historical and reporting accuracy. Because of the extensive amount of material, I've decided to make this a series. Thanks so much for joining me today. My name is Ed Franks, and in the summer of 1966, I was a teenager living in the Patterson, New Jersey suburb of Fairlawn. Separating the two towns, the Passaic River winds down from the northern section of Patterson, drops 77 feet over the Great Falls, where it turns south flowing between the suburbs of Hawthorne, Fairlawn, and East Patterson, now known as Elmwood Park on the east. The Passaic River creates a demarcation between the urban Patterson and the suburban towns surrounding the city. In the 1950s and 1960s, the river served not only as a geographic boundary, but also as a racial boundary, where predominantly African-American and Hispanic neighborhoods on the west side of the river didn't cross the river into the predominantly white communities of Bergen County. Racism was alive and well in New Jersey, not the racism of George Wallace, 
Bull Connor, police dogs and fire hoses, but the more subtle racism of the North. On Friday, June 17, 1966, I was living in my parents' house on Kipp Street in Fairlawn. Like so many kids in those days, I had a job delivering newspapers to homes in my neighborhood. On the afternoon of the 17th, I rode my bike to where my newspaper bundles had been dropped and began breaking down the bundles to fold each newspaper so they could be thrown onto the porches of my customers. That's when I saw the headline, Two Slain, Two Wounded in Tavern, on the front page of the Patterson Evening News. The article included a photo of the Lafayette Grill on the corner of East 18th and Lafayette Streets in Patterson. I recognized the tavern immediately because my father and I often passed it when visiting my grandmother on Keene Street, just two blocks to the north. The article said that the police thought the gunman had planned a holdup and that Reuben Hurricane Carter, a well-known middleweight boxer from Patterson, and an unidentified friend were being held for questioning in connection with the shooting. The name Reuben Hurricane Carter startled me because I knew who he was. Carter was a well-known Patterson middleweight boxer. Every Friday night, several friends and I would gather at my dad's house to watch the Friday night fights. As a middleweight contender for the championship, Carter's fights, mostly those at Madison Square Garden, would often be featured. I was a boxing and a Hurricane Carter fan. Carter was a very aggressive fighter with great punching power. He could deliver a devastating knockout punch in a flash. In the five years of his career, he fought some of the great middleweights of the day. Emil Griffith, whom he knocked down twice in round one, and even knocked down future heavyweight Jimmy Ellis in the fifth round at Madison Square Garden. Hurricane Carter fought with Joey Giardello for the middleweight championship. Carter lost the Giardello fight, and in my opinion, this loss marked the, end of the, the beginning of the end of his boxing career. It took several months for Carter and his identif- unidentified friend, John Artis, to be arrested for the triple homicide, and the following year they were convicted and given life sentences. While incarcerated, Carter wrote his autobiography, titled The Sixteenth Round, published in 1973. The first half of the 367-page book is about Carter's childhood, run-ins with the law, and his boxing career, which, which ended with his arrest. The second half of the book is about his incarceration, following the Lafayette Grill murders. Carter wrote the book to prove his and John Artis's innocence. Carter offered lots of examples of how they were framed by the police, especially Passaic County lead detective Vincent D. Simone, claiming a racial bias. In the final chapter of the book, Carter offers a plea for help. The only chance I have is in appealing directly to you, the people, and showing you the wrongs that have yet to be righted, the injustice that has been done to me. The book was released in 1973 by Viking Books. Carter's plea worked. In 1974, the New York Times and their investigative reporter, Selwyn Rabb adopted the cause of Reuben Carter and John Artis. In a, 19, in a September 27, 1974 story, Rabb said the two principal prosecution witnesses, the only ones who identified Mr. Carter and a co-defendant John Artis as the black gunman who killed three whites in a barroom shooting, have now recanted their testimony. 
Over the next two years, Rabb followed up with numerous articles attesting that Carter and artists were victims of racial bias. In 1975, the Hurricane Carter Trust Fund was formed by a host of national celebrities, Burt Reynolds, Stevie Wonder, Muhammad Ali, Coretta Scott King, and others. Carter's story also inspired a Bob Dylan song called Hurricane, released in 1976. In March 76, the New Jersey Supreme Court overturned the two convictions. Carter and artists were freed, and a new trial was set. The new trial began in November 1976, and once again, Carter and artists were convicted of first-degree murder in the triple homicide. Carter and artists were returned to state prison. Nine years later, their convictions were once again overturned by New Jersey federal judge H. Lee Sorokin. On August 21, 1987, the Federal Third Circuit Court upheld Judge Sorokin and Carter and artists were again released from prison. This time, the state of New Jersey decided against retrying the case. Carter moved to Canada and artists to Virginia, where they would spend the rest of their lives. Reuben Carter died on April 20, 2014 of prostate cancer at 76 years old, and John Artis died on November 7, 2021 of an abdominal aneurysm at 75, taking their secrets, if there were any, to the grave. This June 17, 2023 marks the 57th anniversary of the murders at the Lafayette Grill. Since then, hundreds of books have been written, a Bob Dylan song and even a movie have been made, mostly in defense of Reuben Hurricane Carter and John Artis. This podcast is about the truth. We will look at the evidence using court records and newspaper accounts of the day. We will also reference Reuben Carter's 1973 book, The 16th Round, David Axelrod's 2017 book, Murder, Myth, and Marketing, and lead detective Vincent D. Simone's 2019 book, Media Meddlers. Thanks for joining me today. This concludes part one of Reuben Hurricane Carter, John Artis, and the Lafayette Grill Murders, Just the Facts. In the next episode, we'll take a look at the crime scene inside the Lafayette Grill on the morning of June 17, 1966. Then we'll account for the timeline according to Reuben Carter and his book, The 16th Round. From when Carter left his home on the night of June 16th, teamed up with John Artis and another man, until the time the police stopped them on the streets of Patterson, not once but twice, when neither Carter nor Artis were arrested for the murders. Thanks again for joining me. See you next week.